Chapter 21 In Mid-Career When the master awoke in the grey dawn, he saw Carmenita busy rolling up his mat, hanging his gourd over his shoulder, and looking round for his staff, which he hadn't at once been able to see in the corner in which he'd placed it, owing to its having fallen down. While thus engaged, there was in his every movement the appearance of a man in a great hurry. The master sat up and gave a friendly greeting. "'You going already, brother?' "'Oh, yes, yes!' called out Carmenita, full of excitement. "'Just think! It's hardly to be believed. Absolutely laughable, and, and yet so marvellous. Such rare good fortune. A, a few minutes ago I awoke and felt my throat quite parched after all the talk of yesterday. Without more ado, I jumped up and went to the well just across the way, beneath the tamarinds. A maiden was standing there drawing water.' What do you suppose I learned from her? The master isn't in Savati at all, but can you imagine where he is? Yesterday, accompanied by three hundred monks, he arrived here in Rajagaha. At this very moment, he is in the mango grove on the far side of town. In an hour, maybe less, I shall have seen him. I who believed that I should have to journey for another four weeks. What do I say in an hour? It's only a good half-hour to there, the maiden said, if you don't go through the main streets but run through the lanes and squares to the west gate. I can scarcely believe it. The ground burns beneath my feet. Farewell, brother. You've meant well to me, and I shall not fail to bring you also to the master, but now I really cannot delay a moment longer. And the pilgrim Carmenita dashed out of the hall and ran away along the street as fast as his legs would carry him. But when he reached the city gate of Rajagaha, it was still not yet open, and he was obliged to wait for a short time, time which seemed to him an eternity, and which raised his impatience to the highest pitch. He employed the minutes, however, in getting from an old woman, carrying a basket of vegetables to the town, and who, like himself, was obliged to halt at the gate, exact information with regard to the shortest way, as to how he was to go through such and such a lane, past a little temple to the right, and to the left past a well, and then not to lose sight of a certain tower, so that he might perhaps recover in the town the time he'd lost standing outside its walls. As soon then as the gate was opened, he dashed recklessly away in the direction indicated, in his urgency, he knocked down a few children. Then he brushed with such violence past a woman who was rinsing dishes at the curbstone that one of these rolled rattling away from her and then broke. Then he bumped into a water carrier, but the abuse which followed him fell on deaf ears. So utterly was he possessed by the one thought that soon, so wonderfully soon, he should see the Buddha. What rare fortune, he said to himself. How many generations pass and have no Buddha who sojourns on the earth in their time? And of the generations that has a Buddha for its contemporary, how few ever behold him. But this happiness will certainly be mine now. I have always feared that on the long and dangerous road, wild beasts or robbers might deprive me of this joy, but now it cannot be taken from me. Filled with such thoughts, he turned into a narrow little lane. In his foolish onward rush, he failed to observe that from the other end of it, the cow, Mad with fear from some cause or other, was dashing towards him, and he also failed to notice that while several people in front of him fled into a house, others concealed themselves behind a projecting bit of wall. Nor did he hear the shout with which a woman standing on a balcony tried to warn him, but he dashed on, with his eyes fixed on the pinnacle tower which was to prevent him from taking some wrong turning. Only when it was too late to get out of the way did he see with horror the steaming nostrils, the bloodshot eyes, and the polished horn which, the next instant, drove deep into his side. With a loud scream he fell down by the wall. The cow dashed onward and then disappeared into another street. People instantly hurried up, in part from curiosity, in part to help. 
The woman who'd warned him brought water with which to cleanse the wound, and they tore up his robe to make a bandage, and if possible to staunch the blood which gushed forth as if from a fountain. Carmenita had hardly lost consciousness for an instant. It was clear to him at once that this meant death. But neither that knowledge nor the agonies he was enduring was such torture to him as fear that he might not now see the Buddha. In a deeply agitated tone of voice, he begged the bystanders to carry him to the mango grove, to the master. I've journeyed so far, friends. I was so near my goal. Have pity upon me. Don't delay to carry me there. Don't think of the pain to me. Have no fear that I shall sink under it. I shall not die until you've laid me down at the feet of the Blessed One. Then I shall die happy, and happily rise again. Some of them ran to fetch poles in a stretcher. A woman brought a strengthening draught which Carmenita took a few mouthfuls of. The men were divided as to which way was the shortest to the hall of the Sangha in the mangrove grove, for every step would make a difference. It was clear to all that the seeker's life was ebbing fast. Here come some disciples of the Blessed One, cried a bystander, pointing along the little lane. They will best be able to tell us. And in fact, several bhikkhus of the order of the Buddha were approaching, clad in ochre robes. Most of them were very young men, but at their head walked two venerable figures. A grey-haired man whose earnest, if somewhat severe face with its piercing eye and powerful chin involuntarily attracted attention to itself, and a middle-aged man whose features were illumined by such a heart-winning gentleness that he almost had the appearance of a youth. Yet an experienced observer might, in his bearing and somewhat animated movements, also in his flashing glances, have detected the inalienable characteristics of the warrior caste, while the deliberate calm of the older man no less revealed the born Brahmin. In loftiness of stature and princely carriage they were, however, alike. When these monks halted by the group which had collected around the wounded man, many voluble tongues at once related to them what had happened, and informed them that they were just about to carry the wounded man on a stretcher, which was then being fetched to the mango grove, to the Buddha, in order to fulfil the man's overwhelming desire. Could one of the younger monks perhaps return with them to show them the shortest way to the spot where the master was at that moment to be found? The master, answered the old man with a severe face, is not in the mango grove, and we ourselves don't know where he is. At the answer, a despairing groan burst forth from Carmenita's wounded breast. But he, he certainly can't be far from here, added the younger. The master sent the company of monks on ahead yesterday, and pursued his journey alone. He arrived late, I expect, and sought quarters somewhere, probably in the suburbs. We're now on our way to look for him. Oh, seek diligently, find him, cried Carmenita. Even if we knew where the master was, it would not be possible to carry this wounded man there, said the stern monk, for the shaking of the stretcher would soon render his condition so much worse that, even if he survived it, he would arrive on the point of death, with a mind incapable of apprehending the master's teaching. Let him, however, take care of himself now, be treated by an experienced surgeon and be carefully tended, and there is always the hope that he may recover enough strength so as to be able to listen to and comprehend the master's words. Carmenita, however, pointed impatiently to the stretcher. No time. Dying. Take me with you. See him. Touch. Die happy. With you. Hurry. Shrugging his shoulders, the bhikkhu turned to the younger disciples. This poor man holds the supremely perfect one to be some kind of image at whose touch one's imperfections are dissolved. 
He's gained faith in the Tathagata Sariputra, even if he lacks a deeper understanding, said the other, and he bent over the wounded man to ascertain what strength he still had. Perhaps we might risk it after all. I'm sorry for the poor fellow, and I believe we could do nothing better for him than to make the attempt. A grateful look from the pilgrim rewarded him for his advocacy. As you will, Ananda, answered Sariputra kindly. At this moment there came striding past from the direction in which Karmanita had also come, a potter who carried on his head a basket with all kinds of baked clay wares. When he perceived Karmanita upon the stretcher, where they had just laid him, with great care, though not without causing him violent pain, he stopped, stricken with horror, and so suddenly that the dishes and bowls piled one above the other came crashing down and were broken into pieces. Holy Brahma! What has happened here? That's the young wanderer who honoured my hall by spending the night there, in the company of a monk, who wore a robe just like that of these reverent men. Was that monk an aged man and of lofty stature? asked Sariputra. He was, Honourable Sir, and he seemed to me not unlike yourself. Then the monks knew that they did not need to seek any longer, that the master was in the house of the potter. For the disciple who resembles the master was the description by which Sariputra was generally known. Is it possible, said Ananda, glancing up from the wounded man who, owing to the pain occasioned by his being lifted, had become all but unconscious and had not noticed the arrival of the potter? Is it possible that this poor man should through the whole night through have had the happiness for which he so longs, without in the least suspecting it? That is the way of fools, said Sariputra. But let us go. Now he can, of course, be brought along. One moment, called Ananda. He's been overcome by the pain. Indeed, Carmenita's blank stare showed that he had scarcely noticed what was happening around him. It began to grow dark before his eyes, but the long strip of morning sky which showed between the high walls nevertheless pierced his consciousness and may well have appeared to him like the Milky Way crossing the midnight sky. His lips moved. The Ganga, he murmured. His mind wanders, said Ananda, though standing next to Carmenita, who had heard what he said, interpreted it differently. He now wishes to be taken to the Ganga, in order that the sacred waters may wash away his sins. But Mother Ganga is far from here. Who could possibly carry him thither? First to the Buddha, then the Ganga, murmured Sariputra, with the wry pity a wise person bestows upon the fool who, beyond the reach of help, falls out of one superstition into another. Suddenly, however, Karmanita's eyes became wonderfully animated. A happy smile transfigured his face. He sought to raise himself. Ananda supported him. The heavenly Ganga. He whispered, with weak but happy voice, and pointed with his right hand to the strip of sky above his head, the heavenly Ganga, we swore, by its waves, varsity. His body quivered, blood gushed forth from his mouth, and he passed away in Ananda's arms. Scarcely half an hour later, Sariputra and Ananda, accompanied by the monks, entered the potter's hall, greeted the master respectfully, and sat down before him. Well, Sariputra, asked the master, after having given a friendly greeting, did the company of young monks under your leadership reach the end of their long journey well and without accident? Did you have any lack of food or medicine on the way? Are your disciples happy and studious? I'm glad to be able to say, master, that we lack for nothing, and that the young monks, full of confidence and zeal, have but one desire, namely to see the master face to face. I have brought these noble youths, who know the essentials and have faith in the Dharma, in order to present them without delay to the Blessed One. 
And at these words the three young monks arose and greeted the master with palms pressed together in the shape of a lotus bud. Greetings, venerable father. Welcome, said the master, and with a gentle glance and a small movement of his hand invited them to be seated again. And did you, master, arrive after yesterday's journey without too much fatigue or other ill effects? And have you spent a passable night in this hall? Even so, Sariputra, I arrived at dusk without ill effects from my journey and spent the night in the company of a young stranger, a wandering seeker. That wanderer, began Sariputra, has been robbed of his life in the streets of Rajagaha by a cow. And never dreaming with whom he passed the night here, added Ananda, his one desire was to be brought to the feet of the Blessed One. Soon afterwards, to be sure, he demanded that he should be carried to the Ganga, remarked Sariputra. Not so, brother Sariputra, Ananda corrected him, for he spoke of the heavenly Ganga. With radiant countenance he recalled a vow, and in doing so he uttered the name of a woman. Varsity, I believe, and so he died. With the name of some woman on his lips he went hence, said Sariputra. I wonder where he has entered again into existence. Foolish as an unreasonable child was the pilgrim Karmanita, said the Buddha. This young seeker went about in my name and wished to profess himself as a follower of the Buddha Dharma, yet when I expounded the teaching to him, entering into every detail, he took offence at it. The longings and aspirations of his heart were centred upon bliss and heavenly joys. The pilgrim Karmanita Bhikkhus has entered again into existence in Sukhavati, the paradise of the West, there to enjoy the pleasures of heaven for thousands upon thousands of years. <laughs>